Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arscast Extra. As always, with James from Gunner Blog. And James, it feels quite right that on this first day, this first Arscast Extra of the brand new season, it's a goodly morning. We won three points, clean sheet, and we beat some magpies. We're going to win the league. We're going <laughs> to win the league. It, I mean, yeah, it is a goodly morning. No doubt about it. We, we defeated the magpies, which, as we all know, is a gargantuan task uh, and a clean sheet and new players and youngsters. And I mean, it, it was quite exciting all in all. It really was. Um, I just want to start the podcast on a bit of a, a, a down note, if I can, because it's going to be an upbeat podcast. But I have some sad oh. news. I, oh. I went to the shop and I bought like a packet of Kit Kats. You know, yeah. just two finger Kit Kat things, and they oh, no. they don't have the foil anymore. Hang on, the foil. What do you mean? Is gone. It's in a it's in a kind of wrapper, a self contained right. wrapper. It's not a paper wrapper with foil. It's now just a self contained wrapper. There is no more foil on Kit Kats. Now, is this something that's happened? Have you been buying Kit Kats regularly, and you've just noticed this, or have you not bought Kit Kats for about ten years? Is it possible this happened some time ago? No, I've, I would buy Kit Kats relatively regularly. And I just noticed this with the new ones now. So those of us wow. who've grown up on the the foil on Kit Kats, this is a substantial change to my a world. Day. When I was a kid, I remember like to try and impress other children in the playground. I would eat the Kit Kat with the foil on it. <laughs> <laughs> what, were, what, what what exactly were you trying to impress them with? Well, bear in mind, I didn't have anything else to impress them with. So it was just, you know, maybe I could get friends this way. Look, I'll eat this Kit Kat in its foil. Because foil's relatively digestible, I think, compared to other, you know, other non-food substances. Is it, though? It slips through. It, <laughs> it adds a lovely glittery, glittery tinge to what comes out the other end. Okay, well, um, I'm learning so a lot about me. you. My, mm. my party trick is gone. Real shame. Well, you could just like get a, a, a roll of tinfoil if you really wanted that's to. True. Yeah, <laughs> that is true, actually. Just go all out. I'm not sure. Go on. Have Kit Kats in America. I was just wondering, you know, will everyone know what we're talking about? I'm do sure. Them that by her. They must do. Yeah, they do. Kit do, Kats, of course they do. Do they have Kit Kats in America? Sure. Why not? Why not? Um, do they have Kit Kats in America? Um... Maybe not. I don't know. 
It's like a wafer covered in chocolate. But yeah. crucially, the chocolate is covered in foil. Yes. And if you're a real connoisseur, that's how you eat it. Delicious, tasty foil. Well, no longer, no longer. Um, the other thing before we get into the Arsenal side of things is that we have a lot of people, James, asking us to look at Lampard out, the Lampard out hashtag uh, on Twitter. Guys, look, bide your time. Bide your time on this one. You're not getting the good stuff after one game of the new season. I promise you that. It's all down the road. It's waiting for us. It's waiting for us. There will be a time, there will be a podcast when we go big on the Lampard out hashtag, but it's not going to be today. <laughs> as amusing as that. Tr- <laughs> it did trend on Twitter yesterday. Yeah, but it's, it's just got to be people putting Lampard out of for course, the laugh. I tweeted it. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> Uh, there can't be any real uh, serious Chelsea fans who are who are saying that just yet. But as I said, just a little bit of patience and it will be a virtue and it will come back to, uh, well, I guess, hopefully not haunt us, but something we can enjoy on this, uh, on this podcast. Exactly. Amuse us. Um, right. Let's talk Arsenal and let's talk the opening day of the season and let's talk a 1-0 win over Newcastle. Um mm-hmm. The team selection, any surprises in there for you? I don't know about surprises, but I think what I was struck by was that, you know, we were saying, I think, in the build-up to the game, how the team would have quite a familiar look for the most part. Mm. Uh, And and while that's true in that we didn't, as far as I'm aware, start any new signings, it did still feel like quite a, a different team. And I guess that's because of a couple of things. First of all, we were playing with the back four, which we did use last season, but not regularly. And second mm. of all, because of the inclusion of the young players, particularly Reese Nelson and Joe Willock, who sort of had that like a new signing tinge to them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I do, yeah. Because they weren't fixtures in the first team at all. Reese Nelson wasn't with us last season. Joe Willock mm-hmm. played a bit. And we saw him in the, the Europa League final, of course. But yeah, there was something new and... Um, refreshing about the team selection. I think it was very much informed by who was fit, you know, who was properly match fit and match sharp. Because when you looked at the new signings, Ceballos was slightly late uh, in arriving. Yeah. He was away with the European under 21. Yeah. And he picked up a, an ankle problem. Uh, Pepe only arrived last week. David Luiz only arrived on Friday, so didn't really get to to bed in and and get to know his teammates as well as you might like going into uh, a game on the opening day of the season. Lucas Torreira, you know, not a new signing, but somebody else who came back late. Lacazette had an injury, and I think Lacazette was really only on the bench for insurance. Um, if we if we badly needed a goal, that's why he was there. So you know, it really was about just putting out the most physically ready team that he could. Pick. Yeah, and I suppose one of the consequences of that was that we had a really, really strong bench. I mean, some of those names, Ceballos, Lacazette, Torreira, Mm. Pepe, Louise, uh, you know, a really, really strong bench. And if we had been in trouble, potentially we would have been able to change things around. But uh, fortunately, you know, we're relatively comfortable. Yeah, I mean, we had lots of possession, which has often (laughs) been the case with this team. And I think there there were elements maybe of last season's 
performances under Unai Emery in the first half in that it wasn't a particularly great first half from us, which was quite often the case last season. Um, yeah. we, we had a lot of the ball and they had some some reasonable chances. I don't, I don't think they had anything quite as clear cut as we saw in some of the games last season, but it was definitely a feature where I thought it was quite interesting, particularly in the early stages of the game, the way Newcastle set up in that they tried to prevent us playing balls into midfield to Xhaka and Genduzi. So they pressed yeah. right down the middle and they forced us out wide and, and we had a lot of ball with the fullbacks and, and what have you. So, I mean, what was your what were your thoughts on that first half um, and the performance overall? I, I'll be honest. I mean, I thought it was not a great game mm. at, at any point, really. It never really caught light. No. It's one of those sort of sobering opening day reminders that the Premier League isn't always quite as enthralling as the branding would have you believe. Um, in the first half, I was really struck by the performance of Henrik Mkhitaryan, I have to say. You mm. know, it was a very, very strange performance from him. Well, I would say that, but not. it wasn't an entirely unfamiliar one. Uh, in a way, he contributed to our best moment in that first half with the ball over the top for Aubameyang. But then a lot of other occasions just seemed to be a bit casual in possession. And I think uh, he fired a pretty good chance over as well after yeah. a cutback. And it felt like a lot of things were sort of coming to an end with Mkhitaryan. I, I don't yeah. mean to necessarily pick on him, but that's how it was. Yeah, I know. There wasn't there like an amazing... Um well, amazing is maybe the wrong word, but there was a really impressive passage of play, and I think Reese Nelson was involved in it quite quite a lot, um, where we just moved the ball from the left-hand side back into the centre of midfield. Uh, Nelson, a lot of pass and move, just laid it off and moved, laid it off and moved, and it came to Mkhitaryan, and he had a relatively simple ball out left to Monreal. He just put it out for a throw, which he did yeah. more, than, more than once yesterday. He's such a strange player because there were moments in the game where he actually drove us forward quite well with the way he ran with the ball at his feet. But when it came to making that final pass, the final decision, it was so far off what you require. It, it just, it was very hard to tally the two things. Yeah. And, and um, I think there is always that temptation to leave him on because he can produce those moments. I mean, that pass I'm talking about to Aubameyang was really yeah. delicately weighted, great ball over the top. And, you know, it, it, it's a kind of reminiscent of end days Alexis to, to an extent, you know, giving the ball away inconsistent in possession, but still potentially someone who can turn up with a goal or an assist. Uh, he just doesn't do it with that kind of regularity. So I don't think it's quite a, a reasonable comparison. Mm. But uh, yeah, I, I, I thought that there were sort of some promising signs in the first half. I thought Nelson was was relatively bright. I thought Willock as well was was pretty bright. But it was the game was played at a considerable intensity, and I think you're right. You know, we saw something we've been used to seeing, which is Granite Shaka slightly struggling with the the pace of the game in the middle of the park. And uh, but fortunately, I felt that Newcastle couldn't really sustain that. No, they they sort of ran out of they ran out of puff, and certainly mm. in the in the second half, late in the game, where you expected them to to mount. Uh, a kind of comeback or, or to put some pressure on. They just physically weren't able to do it. They weren't able to keep up with with the fitness of, of the Arsenal players. We did have that one chance, I think, was probably, well, two good chances in that first half. One was the Mkhitaryan one, which he absolutely leathered over the bar and probably out of the yeah. stadium. 
Uh, and the other one was the one that he actually created for Aubameyang, a decent save um, by the goalkeeper. But, you know, it felt sort of inevitable that we were going to start relatively slowly. You are playing to um, two young players in Willock and Nelson. Uh, you know, I think it was Willock's, uh, Nelson's first start, rather, in the Premier League since a game against Manchester United the season before last. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's a while since he played and started in the Premier League. Like you, I think there were some very promising moments from him. Uh, the, the, the final part of the game isn't quite there yet, but I do like the way he looked to link up with, with the players around him. And maybe, you know, when you take into account um, his relative rawness, Willock's relative rawness, um, Mkhitaryan having a bit of a stinker, you know, it's, it's understandable why things didn't quite come together from an attacking point of view in that first half. Yeah, I have to say, I did like what I saw of Nelson. And I think we've spoken about this on the show before, but he's not necessarily produced too many eye-catching moments in pre-season or or even in this Newcastle game. But what he strikes me as is someone who's very technically secure, who's very competent, who can, you know, take the ball, give it, uh, can bring that continuity and flow to our play to an extent, replace a little bit of what we've lost in in Alex Awobi. And I actually think Mm. he's relatively well suited to that left-sided role because, you know, he drifts in field, it creates a bit of space on the overlap, he's coming in onto his stronger foot. Uh, And I thought there were some really encouraging signs from him. I think that maybe he's been a little bit less showy than we might have expected, but I do think there Mm. is a bit of maturity there. uh, And maybe we're seeing a bit of the benefit of his time away. Yeah, I think you're... You're right. I'm look, they were playing a five man defence. It was all very tight and congested down that left hand side. And I thought where he was interesting was when he came into the middle and looked to combine with, with some of the other midfielders around him. Um Joe Willock, you know what was interesting in the in the first half, uh, at the end of the first half, I had a look at the stats and I was thinking, My God, Mikitarian his pass completion rate must be appalling. And it was something like 73%. And Joe Willock's pass completion rate was 62%, something like that, which I never would have, which I never would have like considered just Mm. by watching the game with my eyes. That wasn't something that, that struck me with Willock um, when when I was watching the game, but uh, there was a lot to like about him, wasn't there? And there was that one moment, I think, which really summed up what kind of a player he is and what kind of, what kind of a uh, prospect he is where he had the ball he was going down the left hand side he got bundled off it by John Joe Shelby a very experienced Premier League footballer got knocked on his arse didn't just sit there but got back up straight back infield, chased him down and won the ball back, which set Arsenal off again. I think that really epitomised the kind of qualities that we're, we're looking to get from, from Joe Willock. Really, really impressive. Yeah, and also uh, something that struck me is that you talk about Reese Nelson playing that game against Manchester United. If, if I think I recall correctly, that was at the Emirates Stadium. Mm. And in the past, you know, we've been hesitant as a club, and understandably so, to throw young players in away from home because it, it is a a big challenge and you know you're in an environment that's not necessarily the most suited but I'd never felt that Nelson or Willock looked daunted by playing at St James's Park they Mm. never seemed sort of psychologically to struggle with that and I think at that age you know it's 
it's really impressive and I really encourage it. I mean, there was that stat, wasn't there? It was the first time we played two English teenagers since, I think, 1999, Paolo and Matthew Upson. Wow. So, yeah. So, I mean, it was good to see. Yeah, well, just on that, and I don't want to jump ahead to the questions part yet, but there was one here from Joel Mid, who's at Joel underscore Mid, who, who asks, uh, were you surprised that with seven minutes to go, one nil up away from home in the north of England in the pouring rain, our 18-year-old signing from Brazil, Martinelli, was brought on. A massive vote of confidence considering mm. other bench options. And it just sort of ties into to the approach that you're talking about, that away from home, we were giving youth its head. And, and uh, even in the dying stages of the game, the, the obvious substitution maybe was to bring on Torreira to try and shore things up. But maybe this indicates just a little bit of a change of approach from Emery uh, because I think last season that's what he would have done. This time he brought on he brought on a kid um, yeah. who, did, who did quite well. So again, it could be a, a fitness thing or whatever, but, but uh, you know, that's not what Emery was about last season. No, I, I really thought that substitution felt like a bit of a statement. I mean, Doubtless fitness played its part and Martinelli's been largely part of the preparations and is in good shape. But it really felt like putting a bit of a flag in the ground and saying, you know, we are going to give youth a chance this season. Mm. And uh, yeah, I I thought it was really surprising. I I even had a few mates who aren't Arsenal fans text me and say, bloody hell, Martinelli's coming on. I didn't think he was actually going to play for you guys this season. Yeah, Um, And it was a bit of an eyebrow raiser, but... I do think that there has been a bit of a shift and, you know, there was another statement substitution, wasn't there, during the Europa League final where Joe Willett came on and it feels like maybe that was a a bit of a symbolic moment, a slight changing of the guard. And I know there are a lot of players to come back, but uh, clearly these guys, as Emery told his post-match press conference, are going to be with us this season. Yeah, and I think... Emery is in a situation where he kind of has to take a few more risks this season and be a bit more expansive in terms of how he approaches games, how he plays games, and and how he manages games um, Mm. within the game itself. You know, so within the 90 minutes, the decisions that he makes, you know, it is easy sometimes to err on the side of caution. But sometimes you you get rewarded for for being a bit brave. And I think that was certainly a relatively brave substitution, even if, as we said, Newcastle had kind of run out of steam at that point. So um, the goal that we scored, Mm. it reminded me so much. The finish and the touch and the finish from Aubameyang reminded me so much of Thierry Henry. It's just, (laughs) it really is. It's just like you knew... If you gave Thierry Henry the ball in that position, he would be, he'd just put it away. And just the touch and the poke beyond the goalkeeper, it really reminded me of Henry. But I, I think we have to give a huge amount of credit for that goal to Ainsley Maitland-Niles, who, you know, was on his toes, intercepted the ball, drove forward, delivered with precision the perfect pass for Obama Yang to be able to do what he did. Yeah, I'm just watching it again now. It's it's mm. not even a particularly loose pass. He's just so quick over the ground, Maitland-Niles, to get there. And once he does, his acceleration is brilliant. His pass is excellent. I mean, you can see why he fancies himself as a winger, the way he executes that. But mm. in this system, playing as a fullback, he should get plenty of opportunity to do that. It's a great, great, great bit of play from him. And I agree, a really lovely take from Aubameyang. Because when he receives it, actually, the distance between him and the goalkeeper is not not huge, you know, by the time he's brought the ball under control, it's actually quite a narrow angle and the way he just 
flicks it over him so nonchalantly was, yeah, great. Fantastic start to see him off the score sheet and really good from Maitland-Niles. Yeah, there was somebody who was asking, I can't remember who it is, uh, maybe I can find it here, but he was saying, did you, did you notice in the celebration that Ceballos got a smack in the head? <laughs> it was John Gord. Who's that, John Gord? Did you see Ceballos get walloped in the face during the goal celebration? And if you look at the celebration, I think it's Maitland-Niles <laughs> who comes in and just clobbers him. <laughs> Uh, well, welcome to the Premier League, I guess. Exactly. Uh, but I really liked that from Maitland-Niles. And I thought, you know, we spent a lot of time, I suppose, talking about Nelson and Willem. Mm. But I thought this was a, a good performance from him. You know, I thought it was a decent showing from him as a right back and, and going in both directions, which is encouraging to see. Yes, I think, you know, we, we can highlight the, the work he did for the goal. But I think defensively, it was one of the best games I've seen him play. Mm. Um, uh, you know, and I've, I've had some reservations about him as a fullback and as a defender. But I think looking at what he did yesterday, there was a, a concentration, there was a, a discipline to the way that he played. There were a couple of moments late in the first half where, or late in the second half, rather, where he got back and made tackles and made challenges and came away with the ball because of his persistence and determination. And those are qualities that you really need when you're away from home. If, you, if you're if you trying to, you know, see out a game and, and snuff out danger. I mean, that's a big part of what, what um, our defensive problems have been is not... Um, not being aware to danger or letting situations develop that turn really, really dangerous because we're not close enough. We don't close the man down quickly enough. We let crosses come in, those kind of things. And I think looking at looking at the way that Maitland-Niles played yesterday, um, I, I'm, I'm very impressed and very encouraged by that. Yeah, me too, because we're going to need him there for a while. Yeah, I mean, Hector Bellerin is still somewhere around the corner, isn't he? Are they talking about him returning to training in a month or so, something like that? Yeah, I think so. But let's, you know, let's be realistic about, you know, how, how quickly he can come back into yeah. the first team. Um, and I think the other thing to, to talk about is that when Bellerin does come back, and I think he is very obviously the first choice, it's no harm for him to have some actual genuine competition within the squad yeah you know I so. agree and I also think if you look at you know Spurs a couple of years ago under Pochettino they played with full backs or wing backs who were really involved in the attacking play and there was a huge physical demand on them and they had four you know they had uh, they had Trippier and Walker at right back and at the left back they had uh, Rose Rose and uh, is it Davis Ben Davis maybe I forget and, you know, they rotated them almost every single game. And I do think that in those positions, we might see a lot of rotation, particularly between between Europe and the Premier League, of course. So I think there'll be plenty of game time for, for Maitland-Niles, for Bellerin, for Tierney and for whoever else is still around at left-back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's something that's uh, coming down the line as well, the left-back change with Tierney. So, you know, the... the I saw people talking about the the lineup and maybe griping a little bit about the lineup, but there's no question in my mind that in six eight weeks time, the Arsenal starting eleven compared to the one yesterday will be quite different. Yeah, of course, I think it will, and I, I understand. You know, we've spent a lot of money. I mean, the top spenders in the Premier League. Who would ever have thought that that would be the case? Um, and people want to see those new players and want to see those new signings from the start. But 
what's the point in, pl- in playing Pepe for 90 minutes and he, you know, he pulls a hamstring after 20? Do you know what I mean? I mean, we've got to be patient with these guys if we want to get the most from them. Yeah. And I, and I, do, I do think that, you know, this wasn't our starting 11 for the, for the remainder of the campaign, but there was so much to be encouraged and so much to be proud about. I mean, a few academy players in there, Gendouzi at 20, I thought looked really he was good very in good. central midfield. Very yeah. good. Yeah, I thought he was excellent. So, you know... I, and, and even at centre-half, you know, where we've had real problems, I thought Socrates and Chambers were relatively solid. I mean, I don't think Newcastle present an enormous amount of attacking threat. I think it's worth sort of stating that as a caveat. But yeah. a clean sheet away from home for this Arsenal team is not something to be sniffed at. No, I, I was impressed by Chambers. I was impressed by Chambers. Yeah. I thought I thought he played a very sensible game. Sometimes... There's a bit of pressure on a, a defender to to play out from the back, and there were times when maybe there was a, a more risky pass on, but he wasn't taking any chances. And look, if you've got to put your foot through it and just get rid of it upfield, sometimes you have to do that. I think he 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 read the game really well positionally. I thought he was very good. He tried to win the ball high up the pitch when it was when it was um, when it was on to do that he stayed on his feet he he wasn't exposed um the way he has been a couple of times in preseason where he let players get away from him so i think we're looking at callum chambers you know who's who's uh obviously got a chance to play quite regularly this season because uh, i guess we can talk about this in a minute it seems fairly clear that mustafi is not in Unai Emery's plans. He wasn't in the squad yesterday, and this comes after a story at the weekend where Emery said, I've told Mustafi he can leave. So mm. we, we have a situation where we've got Socrates, we've got David Luiz in, we've got Rob Holding coming back, and, and Callum Chambers is an option in the centre of our defence as well. And he had an opportunity yesterday not to necessarily stake a claim to be, you know, our first choice central defender, but to kind of solidify his place within that central defensive group, you know? Yeah. And and I thought he did that really, really well. There was a, there was a maturity about his performance, which I guess comes off the back of a season playing regularly for for Fulham. I know he was maybe a bit out of sight, out of mind for people. Um but I, I, I think there is there's a there's a a player there who adds something to our squad, even if he's not necessarily going to be a first choice player week in week out. Yeah, I mean, ideally, I think you want to think of that set, group of centre backs as a four. Really, you know, you've got mm. uh, Louise, Socrates, Chambers, Holding, and you want to be able to mix and match and rotate when you can. I think that's one of the really underrated aspects of Socrates. Actually, is that. I think he's pretty comfortable alongside almost any other central defender. I very rarely feel like, oh, Socrates with this guy is going to create a problem for him. You know, he's played in in the middle of a back three. He's played wide in the back three. Mm. I think he's played either side in a two. I do like that about him. And I think Chambers, yeah, he, he just was solid. And that's all he kind of really needs to be. I think the likelihood is Holding will be ahead of him in the pecking order. The likelihood mm. is Louise will too. But he'll get plenty of games and if he can be that fourth man in the centre of our defence, then I think that is an improvement probably on where we were with Mustafi. Yeah. Um, what, what do you make of the Mustafi situation then? Because it does seem clear that Emery wants him to go um, or that the club wants him to go. You know, not even in the squad yesterday. And that's the first time that's happened to him since he arrived. So, mm. 
Do you, do you think do you think this kind of what's the word I mean making it public and then making a very it's a very public um declaration when a player is not in the squad that he is unwanted do you think that's kind of what it's because we, we've heard stories haven't we that like he's determined to stay and 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 fight for his place is this the club and Emery saying look no it's over you you really need to think about moving on yes I think it it, it plainly is that and I also think it might be the club saying look our chances of getting our money back are well not even our money back but a decent chunk of money back are maybe over because we're doing nothing to add to his value by publicly declaring that we want him to go and not involving him in the squad it feels like we're almost prepared to cut our losses you know if someone comes in is willing to take over a, a good chunk of his salary and take him on loan mm. it feels like that's something we're prepared to do honestly I think it's probably best for everybody it does feel like his relationship with the fans is is really damaged at this point. I don't necessarily see how he's going to recover his confidence playing in this team, playing in front of those supporters. And I understand all the reasons why that's come to pass. So I do find the stories that he's sort of keen to stay and fight for his place uh, slightly odd. I sort of don't really know why he's not like, do you know what? This hasn't worked out. Maybe yeah, let's move on. That's Maybe that's pride. Maybe that's pride. Maybe it is. Maybe it's also comfortable. Um, who knows? Yeah. Who knows what the decision is? But yeah, look, there comes a tipping point. Sometimes there's a, a tipping point in not necessarily the relationship between players and fans, but, but how fans perceive a player. So, mm. you know, he could go out and play five or six, nine out of 10 games in a row. But if he had a five out of 10 game, that's the one that people will focus on or they'll only focus on the things which go wrong and that becomes debilitating and damaging not just to the player but to the team and the squad and and uh, and everything else. So there, there, I think there comes a time where you just have to kind of cut your losses. Um, and also, just from a footballing point mm-hmm. of view, you know, I think the signing of Luis, the return of Chambers means we don't really need... Mustafi now you know there, there was a question I think a while ago of requiring him in terms of a body and someone who was at least regularly quite fit we don't really need him anymore so I yeah. think we can afford to let him go and not be too concerned I don't think there's any instance that will occur this season where we'll be thinking if only we'd kept Mustafi those feel like famous last words, but... Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Flash forward six months. Yes. Why, why, God, why did we let him go? Uh, yeah, we'll see. Okay, so uh, all in all, a promising start to the new season. I think if you'd asked me beforehand, would you take a 1-0 to the Arsenal? I absolutely would have taken that away from home. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, there's a... There's an issue within the team um, that maybe won't be felt by the new players, but certainly will be by the existing players, and that is our away record and how poor we've been on the road for the last two years, basically. We've lost 20 Premier League games in the last two seasons away from home. It is a weight that you carry with you when you go into away games. And it's not something you get rid of overnight either, is it? You have to sort of incrementally improve and have more faith in your ability to go and get results on the road. So, of course, we needed three points. And of course, we needed a clean sheet. But I think being able to to chip away at that psychological 
burden or block that we have when it comes to our away fixtures is going to be a key part of improving this season. Yeah, absolutely. And look, maybe that fresh blood, those younger players just don't have the the stigma about playing away from home. Let's hope not because we desperately need to improve. And going into this game, particularly watching that first half, I was thinking, oh, this, this feels like a draw. You know, this feels like two points potentially drop. So mm. to get the win, to be off to a good start, especially given that we've got some really tricky fixtures, you know, before the month is out almost, uh, that's really good going. So... Yeah, I was really, really pleased. Okay, let's talk just very quickly uh, before we end part one. Let's talk about the new signings and what Mm. we saw from them yesterday. We're not making any definitive judgments, of course, because, uh, you know, that would be ludicrous after just one game. Um, Although that's the way it works these days, apparently. (laughs) You have to make a snap judgment and stick to it straight away, regardless of any evidence to the contrary. Um, But Danny Ceballos came on. I love this uh, comment here from uh, Jump Punch Kick. Who's that? Jump Jump Punch Kick. That's more difficult to say than it should be. Ceballos' first touch of the ball was an attempted back heel that came off. Have we truly found our Ramsey replacement? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I'll be honest. I thought Ceballos looked a bit like a guy who... he looked like what he is, a guy who's arrived from Europe and was a little bit off the pace. Uh, mm. But it's the first game of the season and he's recovering from a knock and I think that's completely understandable. I mean, was that your estimation as well? Yeah, I thought he wanted to come on and impress. Um, he looks like a player who wants the ball all the time. There was a, a funny bit late on where I think maybe Xhaka had it down the left-hand side. And Ceballos is standing there with like, three players around him and he's doing the pointing at his feet you know give me the ball give me the ball give me the ball when that's clearly not the right thing to do so he wants to be involved he wants to move the ball quickly I like those things but he's also got to be aware that more than more than anywhere else he's in a league where mistakes are going to get punished quite ruthlessly Uh, the first touch to give the ball away not great he just played it blind he thought somebody was going to be there and maybe he didn't execute it well enough or whatever it might be but it wasn't the sensible option in those circumstances then there was a a cross field pass which almost almost got intercepted just outside the D and that could have been a problem as well again I could see what he wanted to do because it was tight over on the left hand side he wanted to switch the play but you know, maybe just maybe just be um, a little more sensible. But you know, he looks like a guy who's going to put a shift in. There was a nice moment late on, wasn't there, where he stopped the ball going back to the goalkeeper after after it had gone out of play. So a little bit mm. of shit hazardry as well. It'll take him a few weeks to get up to speed. But when he does, I you know, it looks like there's a player there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, his technical ability is there for everyone to see, and I do like you. I like that willingness to take the ball in any situation. You know, we've got enough central midfielders who, well, we've got one in particular who can't really take the ball in in certain situations in Granite Xhaka. And I think Sabahis could provide a bit of a an antidote there. What, what did you make of uh, of Pepe's cameo? Quiet enough, not mm. unexpectedly, because you know he hasn't had a great deal of time to train, and he's only had a a week or a couple of weeks since he's back off his holidays so there was one nice little shimmy wasn't there on the right hand side where he sort of um, made a defender go one way and then the other defender he made him go the other way and played a simple ball back in field but we didn't get a chance to unleash 
the the Pepe that we're all hoping to see. You know, the player who can get in behind, the player who can drive at defenses or who can drive towards um, drive towards the goal in 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 open space. There were, you could see the movement. You could see at times there was some really nice movement, but we didn't have the we weren't ready to make the pass. If you know what I mean, yes, but I th- but I think that's fair. You know, it's gonna be it's gonna be a few weeks before we see him properly match fit. Won't have done him yeah, any, any harm though, will it? You know, to come on away from home at Newcastle in the pissings of rain, just to give him an idea of well, you know, the Premier League is gonna be it's gonna be pretty intense. So every every um, few minutes he gets on the pitch will be beneficial. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, he's coming from Liga and players typically adapt pretty well from, mm. from there to England. Um, I mean, I was thinking about Robert Pires, you know, when he came over, uh, his first match was up in the northeast as well, wasn't it? And he started on the bench. And yeah. I think Pepe's a bit of a different a different beast, you know, different character, really. And I think he's a different style of play. He's got that natural athleticism, which I think will make him pretty well suited to to English football but yeah a quiet debut but I, I, I look forward to seeing more of him once he's up to speed uh, Martinelli we talked about um, earlier on but uh, you know again he looks quick and fast yeah. willing to put the work in Emery obviously has some faith in him and his talent to put him on 1-0 away from home so encouraging signs all round yeah and what a moment for Martinelli I mean this guy's been playing in sort of regional Brazilian football and now here he is playing in the Premier League as a teenager 18 years old I mean he must feel absolutely on top of the world but I've really liked what I've seen of him in pre-season actually he's very direct he's quick he's full of running he's sort of what you'd expect from a young forward really you know he's chasing everything and making a nuisance of himself and I suppose when you when you are one your lap I know it's a risk to bring a young player on but someone who's going to harry and chase everything that's not the worst idea necessarily. No, not at all. Not at all. All right. Do you have anything else that we need to talk about from the weekend or from the game before we go to part two? I suppose, I mean, only it was just interesting to see sort of the the other results, really, the way yeah. it, it shook out on the opening day. I mean, you've got to say Liverpool and City, you know, <laughs> still look like uh, yeah. quite dominant forces, don't they? They look, they look miles ahead. Uh, at this moment in time but look who knows who knows where the season will go Uh, Chelsea uh, took a bit of a hammering from Manchester United Um, that could be good for us in the long term who knows but uh, it's it's just nice to start with a win and nice to be able to have a a good upbeat podcast um, to kick off a new season with oh yeah it's a real treat All right, we are going to take a break we're going to come back with your questions and more in part two right after this Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? 
Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter, at GunnarBlog, now verified, apparently. Somebody, somebody told me. Yeah, a little, uh, a little birdie of a Twitter bird. <laughs> uh, I am verified. I don't know what that really means, as in, like, what am I verified as? Do you know what I mean? I suppose it proves that I am GunnarBlog, but yeah. you all knew that already. Yeah, I don't know. It just, I don't know. Weird. It makes me makes me seem more makes important. You, yeah, more, much more important and official, like all the other cool people who are verified on Twitter. None of those are cunts, that's for sure. Um, uh, yeah, so at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog on Twitter on the ArsBlog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the ArsBlog, and also on the Discord server, which you get access to if you are an ArsBlog member on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash ArsBlog. We're going to start there, James. Mm. And it comes from Freddie LJ, who says, Is it a bit alarming that Ozil is being targeted off the pitch, given the attempted carjacking and the incident at his home? Is this just a case that, uh, of that being modern life in London? Or how does the club deal with this? And we also had a question uh, on this from Dhruv Bade, I think it is, who's at Bade Roove. Uh, on Twitter. I've probably mangled that pronunciation, so my apologies. But he says, um, media invasion into players' private lives. Sky News revealing Ozil's house. Uh, Overly intense coverage of the first incident. Thoughts on how media can change while, slash if, maintaining content for consumers. So uh, just just to let people know, uh, I'm sure everybody is aware that Mesut Ozil and Say Kalasinac missed the game against Newcastle because of security fears and Arsenal released quite an extraordinary statement. I I can't ever remember anything like this happening before. No, no, I can't either. Um, Nothing similar. It's very disturbing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's difficult to know exactly what's going on. You know, if someone's asking the question of sort of how, you know, what what's happening with Ozil, it, it feels like it must be associated with the first incident that we saw on social media, doesn't it? Yes, it does. I, yeah, I believe it is the same gang involved somehow, uh, but quite what the nature of the threats are or the security incidents, I, I really don't know details of that. I don't suppose we need to know details. The fact that two players were deemed unable to travel with the squad to a, you know our first Premier League game of the season tells you that there's something very serious going on. Uh, that mm. they need to take care of first and foremost as people rather than footballers. It's, do you know what? It's, it's really grim, isn't it? Because it comes relatively hot on the heels of the whole Henrik Mkhitaryan situation uh, around the Europa League final, which I appreciate was a very different circumstance. But again, it was a situation where the club was having to make decisions about an individual because they didn't want to impact upon the safety of the group. Uh, and it's thoroughly depressing in both instances. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I feel terribly sorry for both Kalasinac and Ozil because not only are they being subjected to 
this, you know, being targeted essentially by what appears to be a gang, but they're also being robbed of the opportunity to, you know, pursue their livelihood and uh, do what they want to do. And that is horrendous. I mean, the problem is I don't really know what the club can do about it. I mean, I understand, I saw Charles Watts reporting on goal that two arrests have been made now yeah. outside Meza Ozil's home. I mean, the problem is that when you're dealing with this sort of crime, uh, arrests are only really going to, that's not going to take the problem away. Well, if it's a gang, arresting two of them exactly. just means there might be more people waiting in the wings and quite what the what their intentions are, that's... That's the big worry, isn't it? Is it just to rob Ozil's car and Kolasinac's watch? Or has it mm. now become a situation where because of what happened in that first incident, where they were made to look, you know, they were sort of made fun of. They were a figure of mm. fun because an unarmed left back at a football club saw them off with their, you know, despite the fact that they appeared to have weapons. So I don't know if it's, you know, some sort of emasculation where they feel mm -hmm. like they have to take some kind of revenge for that. That would be the other worry. If it's just about things, you know, n nobody wants to be robbed and nobody likes to be robbed and it's it's awful when it happens and it shouldn't happen and it shouldn't be tolerated. But ultimately, they are just things. But when the threats become personal and they're maybe against, you know, the individuals or, or maybe the players' wives, we saw some talk of them being targeted as well, then it becomes very, very serious. And like you, I don't quite know what the club can do to make that situation better. I mean, you, you can't sort of broker peace with people like that. No. No, you, and you don't, you don't really want to go to the table with people. No, like of that. course, nor should you. But, you know, that's it's just trying to figure out how on earth do you find a workable solution? <sighs> I, I don't know. And it was telling, wasn't it, that Unai Emery was asked, well, will they be back in the squad next weekend? And he, he couldn't really provide mm. clarity on that, could he? It's, uh, it's a real worry. And it's, you know, it's uh, if I was those players, I would feel deeply unsettled. I mean, this is a... A funny thing to look at, but I mean, you know, we're talking about a left back potentially going between now and the end of the transfer window. I mean, is there a chance, say, Klasinac looks at this situation and thinks, do I want to be in England? Do I want to subject myself to this and the people I love to this? Yeah. Um, Not impossible, is it? He'd be absolutely within his rights, you know. <laughs> in a way, no wonder Mazzotta wants to have a, a meeting with DC United or whoever it is. But, mm. I, and I say that slightly flippantly, but. Genuinely, I, I feel terribly, terribly sad for these players. I, I, I worry for the club because I don't, 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 don't. Again, it's a bit like the Mkhitaryan thing. It's like what measures can possibly be put in place where this doesn't pose a threat and doesn't pose a problem? Yeah, and then I, I suppose there's a wider issue whereby a football team's squad or potential of winning a game is being impacted by external influences. Um, you know what I mean by that? That that yeah. maybe people might worry that, okay, well, look at how effective this was um, when Ozil and Kolasinac were targeted. What if other players from other clubs were subjected to, to similar things? I mean, I don't necessarily expect that to happen, but you can understand why people would worry about it. Yeah, it sets a a dangerous and troubling precedent um, 
What, I mean, do you have any idea? What, what would you imagine will happen with this? Do you think they'll be in the squad next weekend? I, I, I have no idea. I really yeah. have no idea. I, I hope so, because if they are, it means there's been some kind of resolution, which means that it's safe for them and for their families to to play. But be you know, I just I, I don't I don't know. It's it's really awful. It really is an awful situation. And you know, the way that some people have reacted to this is a bit disappointing. You know, I know we can all make jokes about Ozil not playing away from home and, and whatever, but like it's clearly a really serious problem that the club have had to make a decision which I guess they wouldn't want to make, which the players themselves wouldn't really want them to make because it feels like you're giving in or you're being pressured by people you shouldn't be put under pressure by. That this idea that, you know what I mean, you're kind of, you're you're not letting them win per se, but you're letting them have this massive impact on you, which is kind of what they want. So mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I don't know uh, how it gets solved or when it gets solved, but I hope it is. I hope it is um, for for their sakes first and foremost, and then afterwards, you know, for the sake of of, of Arsenal, um, because it's a long season and we need our players available to us as as much as possible. Yeah, yeah, I, it's uh, yeah. I, I think. Look, let's hope they're back in the team next week because I suppose mm. at some point with a situation like this. You know, you have to take a stand, and you have to say, "Look, we'll put the measures that we can in place, and we'll we'll do what we can." I, I hope for their sake, they're back playing as soon as possible. Mm. Okay. Uh, let's have another question, um, and let it be this: uh, Darren, who's at Darren Arsenal One, mm-hmm. says, "How many of those three Halen starting players?" will be first-team players by the end of the season. And I assume he means first choice in that. First choice. Um, see, that's a difficult one, you know. You can be a first-team player and not necessarily be first choice. You can play a lot of football and not even be first choice. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think agree. perhaps that's putting a bit too much pressure on on those players. You know, if you... If you were to look at the three, who, of course, are Reese Nelson, Joe Willock, and Ainsley Maitland-Niles, Ainsley Maitland-Niles is a first-team player. And right now, he is a first-choice player. There was a moment in the first half where he got a kick on the ankle. Do you remember that? He got a kick, and he went down, he needed some treatment. And I thought, oh, shit. Actually, we can't cope with an injury to Ainsley Maitland-Niles because we don't have... Who's our right-back? Callum Chambers, then? And... As promising as Chambers was at the centre of our defence, we've all seen him at right back. We've seen enough to know that it's not really his best position. Like, he can do a job, but it's not really his best position. And certainly, it doesn't help Unai Emery play football the way he wants to to play football. You know, Chambers couldn't have done what Maitland-Niles did yesterday when it came to the goal. Because he's, he doesn't have that kind <laughs> no, of... But you know quite. what I mean? Yeah. So that that's quite. really important. So I think Maitland-Niles is a first-choice player at this moment in time. What happens when Bellerin comes back? We'll have to wait and see. But I still think he's going to play quite a bit of football. Willock and Nelson, mm. you know, what are mm. they? Both 19 years of age? That's for the other two? Yeah, they're, but they're both, what, 19? Yeah. Yeah, so look, let's let's let them play... 20 games, 
this season in the Europa League, some Premier League, some cup games, all those things. Let them establish themselves in the squad first before we worry about them being first choice. I think they both have qualities. They both have potential. But I don't want to like heap a load of pressure on them to... Um, to make them first choice, but I think all three are going to are going to are going to feature quite quite regularly. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. I think they will as well. I think I think in a sense, you know, will they all be first team players? Yes, I think they will. I think they'll all figure regular. I think they'll all hit that twenty goal, sorry, twenty goal, twenty game point that you talked about. Um, in terms of being actually a first choice player. I'm not sure that's going to be the case that any of them would start in our absolute best team, but mm. there's going to be plenty of football to go around this season. So I don't think they'll be short of game time. Uh, just going back to something we talked about in the first part of the show. Uh, this is from Constant Stridum, who's at Constant underscore eight on Twitter. He says, are you concerned at how bad Mkhitaryan was? He seems to be one of Emery's favorites and destined to play quite a lot of games this season. Like, are you worried about his form or lack of form? Uh, A little bit. I I guess I feel like maybe he won't play quite as much as we think or quite as much as he has in pre-season because, you know, he's got uh, a lot of alternatives in in those areas. He's got guys like Pepe. He's got guys like Reese Nelson. I think Mkhitaryan might have been in line for more starts in the centre, but I think the arrival of Ceballos and the emergence of Willock are going to influence that and reduce that. Mm. So I, I, I do see him as a player who'll be on the fringes of the first team. Maybe that's uh, a bit of wishful thinking on my part. He he is in poor form. He is in poor form. Uh, and it, I think his confidence is down. You know, I saw a quote floating around from Jurgen Klopp talking about, you know, Henrik Mkhitaryan needed more hugs than any player he ever worked with. And I don't know if Emery's a hugger, really. Mm. Uh, from what I've seen of him, and maybe maybe that's playing its part in sort of not necessarily getting the best from him. But uh, I'm concerned about it, but my concern is sort of slightly reduced by the fact that I'm not sure how integral he's going to be. What do, you, what do you think? I would tend to agree in that I think when players are fit again, he won't play anywhere near as much. So when we can play a front three of... Obama Yang, Lacazette and Pepe, he doesn't fit into the team. You know, even if we're playing a midfield three, there are other options in there. Ozil will play a lot of games, you would guess, assuming everything works out there. Joe Willock can play games. Reese Nelson can play games where Mkhitaryan plays. You know, Martinelli. So there are, there are options. I, I'm sort of a bit worried that in general, since he joined the club, what, 18 months ago? There's been no real consistency to his performances. He's had some really good games. He's had some very good moments. But I don't think you could ever say there's a period where he's been in excellent form, you know, for three or four months at a time. No. And that's a bit of a worry now that he's 30 years of age. It feels like he's sort of in in a kind of decline. Um I mean, that's why when you say, like, are you concerned about his form? I, I hesitate slightly because I'm like, well, hasn't he kind of always been a bit like this? I mean, mm. there was a six-week period when he came back from injury midway through last season where he was really good. 
I, I remember that. Um, but it didn't sustain. Uh, it didn't sustain. And pff, I, I sort of feel like, you know, he's a player who, if we could have sold him this summer, I absolutely would have done it. We've not been able to. He's part of the squad now, but he doesn't look like a guy who's who's ready to contribute regularly. He will still have moments, though. He's a player who even at, even when he's having a terrible game. I remember at Stamford Bridge, was it on the yeah, second game of last I season? I remember that one well, yeah. Diabolical. And yet suddenly produced a couple of moments and there you go. Um, so he's always got that in his locker and I guess that makes him useful. I think he's someone who I see more being in our Europa League team than our Premier League team. Let's put it like that. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, okay. Uh, Ian, who's at IanBH7 on Twitter, says, Are you apprehensive about Pepe? I don't want to be critical, but he had one good season in Liga and we spent record money on him. Should we manage our expectations since his since the first Premier League season is always tough for a new player? I think, in general, it's always a good idea to manage your expectations and not to overhype players because... It just seems more sensible to me to do that. Yes, he's only had one good season with Lille, but it was a a really, really good season, and we can see qualities in the player that we need and everything else. Um, Yeah, look, it's if you expect the sun, moon, and stars and you only get the sun and the moon, you're going to be disappointed. You know? So it might take him a season to properly bed into English football. I always remember people talking about Robert Perez when he arrived first and they said, God, he had a terrible first season. He didn't have a terrible first season. He didn't have his best season uh, the first year he arrived, but he was still a player who, as the season went on, grew to understand the way the game was played in England and became more productive and more effective. Mm. What, where I think we have a real not necessarily an advantage, but where I think there's something very positive when it comes to Pepe is that he's going to be part of a a slightly um, French-leaning front three. They all speak French, Aubameyang, Lacazette, Pepe. Um, I think they'll they'll get on as uh, individuals, but also those two guys, the two experienced guys, are there to kind of guide him a little bit through his first season in English football. Even Lacazette, when he arrived at 26, a couple of years older than Pepe, took a while to get used to the rigours of English football. So if he does have a period where things are a bit difficult, he's got players there who can keep his head up and who can advise him and who can maybe give him ways that he he can cope with this or to come through it, you know? The things that you learn... You can pass on. So that's where I'm I'm hopeful about that. You know, is he going to absolutely tear it up this season? It would be great if he did, but maybe it'll be next season before he goes off the charts, you know. Um, I I just think let, let the guy settle, let him get used to this team, let him get used to his role in the team and to English football, and let's make some assessments of him a few months down the line. I think that I think that's fair. I mean, look, at Arsenal, we've got a bit of a habit of always talking about players in relation to their price tag or in relation to their salary. Mm. And that and that makes sense because that's, you know, that's the game, right? You know, it's how you allocate your resource that determines how successful you are essentially, but uh I do have this slight hunch we probably have 
slightly overpaid, but we've overpaid for a player that we needed in a position where we needed somebody. And unfortunately, that's what everyone's having to do. You look again at what Manchester United have done at centre-half with Harry Maguire, yeah. and you realise the market that we're, we're operating in to an extent. And I'm just excited to see Pepe play. You know, I think we know he's going to bring excitement. We know he's going to bring speed. We know he's going to bring goals. And I want to see that. And I want to see it alongside Aubameyang and ideally alongside Lacazette too. I think it's it's really nice to have a, a an attacking part of the team that I just am really looking forward to seeing link up. Um, mm. And who knows, maybe Mesut Ozil part of that as well. I mean, if you were trying to design a front line of players for Mesut Ozil to, to link with and incorporate with and provide chances for, I mean, this would be pretty close to your ideal. So Sure would. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's see what he can do. Okay, we've got a couple of questions here, more or less the same thing. Steve Edel, El, blah, blah, Steve Edelston says uh, he's at Edelston underscore Steve. Would you stick with Callum Chambers for the next match or give David Luiz his Arsenal debut? And Gunnar Will, who's at Gunnar underscore Will, do you add Luiz to our defence given the fact we've just kept a clean sheet away from home? Do you know what? Since we made the David Luiz signing. Every time I think about it, I think it's grown on me more. Uh, I don't know if it's that Chelsea shipped four goals at Old Trafford and I was thinking they could do with a centre-half. That might have been part of it. But yeah. I just think it's a pretty smart move. Like We've brought in a Premier League-ready defender who, all right, he's a similar kind of age to Koscielny, but he's not had the same injury problems. He can play much more regularly. He's much more, uh, you know, hardy, essentially, going through the amount of fixtures we're going to go through. He's a brilliant passer, which is something we've lacked maybe out of the back of defence, especially since Rob Holding's injured. And I think he can play in a number of systems. And it was not very expensive. I mean, you know, £8 million in this market is, I mean, it's basically nothing. So I think it's a really promising deal. Of course, I reserve the right to retract all that when he boots one in his own goal from 30 yards or something like that. But <laughs> I, I do feel pretty good about it. And I, I, I would be looking to bed him in pretty swiftly. I mean, mm. he's had a good pre-season. He trained for half an hour, apparently, on Friday before the Newcastle game. So yeah. I can understand them not throwing him in straight away. But by next week, I think David Lewis will be in this Arsenal team. And I I feel very positive about it, actually. I'm looking forward to see how he, how he gets on. What do, what do you reckon? Yeah, I think he will come into the team. I think Chambers did very well, as we said. But I, I think him and Socrates will probably be the first choice for a little while. You know, mm. and also if we're going to go to Anfield and we've got Tottenham, I, I don't know that you give David Luiz his debut away at Anfield, do you? You want to give him a game before that. So it wouldn't surprise Definitely. me at all. I, I watched the video. Did you watch the deadline day video on Arsenal.com? It was just sort of behind the scenes stuff, you know, Raul going around being happy and, and smiling at everyone. But it was Kieran Tierney and David Luiz. And I was sort of, impressed by Louise and his character um, as he came in. You know, he seemed very unassuming. He was, I don't know, there was just something about him that I liked straight away. Sometimes you can see that in someone. I, I, I enjoyed that part of it. I think my best, or the best part of these videos where they go behind the scenes, you know, they bring the player into the doctor's office, mm. into Gary O'Driscoll's office. And there was one with Pepe, and he spoke very deliberate English, very slow. It yeah, was, yeah, yeah. How are you? We are going to take some bloods. Yeah. Um, and he speaks very, very slowly, you know, to to ensure that the guy can understand him. And he did the yeah. same with 
David Louise, but he, he also did it with Kieran Tierney, which made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to take your blood. Oh, I, I, I. It was great. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. That is the real question. Who's going to translate for Kieran Tierney? We yeah. don't know. <laughs> uh, Charlie Gilmore's left. What are we going to do? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I think I think I think that's very very funny. But I do like those uh, those little. They're good. They are good, and they do give you a little bit of insight and a bit more into the into the the, the character of the players. And and I liked that Louise just came in and he was you know quite humble, just got on and did his stuff. And yeah, there was no acting the big guy because he's a, an experienced player or anything like that. So I, I do feel like probably this weekend against Burnley, he will get his debut. Yeah, I do too. And I think on paper, him and Socrates looks like quite an interesting partnership. So uh, we'll see how it gets on. I mean, Anfield will certainly be a test. It certainly will. <laughs> um, now, oh, Andrew. Yeah. I've got a question here that I don't know if we'll be able to answer. Oh, okay. It's from, it's from Hazza, who's at Kguna. 1988 and Hazard says can we have a recap of your summer transfer predictions how far close were you from your initial thoughts I have no idea right yeah I thought but that I, might be the case I think did we email each other or something no that would be too clever that would be too yeah what what did we say um let me just see if I can google it Arscast summer predictions Maybe we put it in the in the blog post. Did we though? I don't know. Um, fifteenth of the seventh. We all uh, see. There's a lot of. Oh, hang on. Oh, that's 2018. That's no uh, good. Never no manage. That's. No I good. feel like I predicted that we'd spend more money than 45 million pounds for sure. I think you did. I have a feeling I might have said we'd bring in. Five players? Right. Or more? I don't know. I can't remember. I really can't remember. So if anyone out there listening to this remembers, A, the episode that we did this in, and B, what the hell we said, could you send it to us on Twitter and we can deal with it that way? We can answer this. Yeah. Yeah. Because be I can't remember for the life of me what we said. We should have written it down. Maybe I, Maybe I did. Maybe I took a... Did I take a picture of it? I th I have a vague recollection of saying, you know what I'll do? I'll take a picture of it with my phone. Yeah, but you've taken loads of pictures since then. That's the problem. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like they just get lost in the ether. I've got to scroll through loads of pictures of my dogs. <laughs> Look, there's a dog. There's Excellent. the dogs. There's Archer. There's Lana. There's Archer. There's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, loads of dogs. Food. Um... um Maybe it'll just, you'll just realise we predicted we would sign some dogs. <laughs> that's, the, that's the only thing you've got pictures of in your phone. Yeah. I definitely don't um, seem to have any transfer predictions anyway in my phone. Not that okay. I can see. Well, it's good that we've had a look. We tried. We tried to answer. Next week, I think someone will know when we did it and, how, and what it was. I'm always astonished uh, by what people remember or how specifically yeah. they remember certain things that we have said or done or, or uh, on the podcast. Whereas I, you know, I'll record this podcast and pretty much forget everything we've talked about within, by the end of the week, I would say. Um, yeah, I think it's equally <laughs> astonishing how much we forget. 
Let's put it like that. Um, I ha- oh, let's ask you another question then. Yeah, okay. It's from Paul Thomasu. And Paul says, do you think Koscielny's unveiling video was disrespectful? Um, I don't think it was particularly well advised. But I think it was just yeah. more a case of, I used to be an Arsenal player and now I'm a Bordeaux player. And I agree. It was, you know, look, he probably should have done something a bit different, but I, I found his behavior in forcing a move from the club and going essentially on strike much more um, unpleasant. Unpleasant is the wrong word, but I, I, I think there's more to get unhappy about with that than an unveiling video. As we know, unveiling videos, generally speaking, are terrible. And somebody has Mm a bright idea, and I I don't think he meant any disrespect towards Arsenal or the Arsenal shirt. It's not like he took the shirt off and threw it in the bin or something, you know? Set it on fire. Set it on, pissed on it and set it on fire. Fuck you. He didn't do any of that, you know? It was just badly thought out, you know? I think it was just, again, just to show that he was an Arsenal player and now he's a Bordeaux player. Um, yeah, I think it's one of those things that he probably did uh, and then, you know, watching it back suddenly thinks, oh, that looks terrible. Oh. Um, yeah, because <laughs> I, I honestly don't think, despite everything that's gone on, he would have been done maliciously. Uh, I think it was ill-advised. I think it was misjudged. Yeah. But I think it was sort of accidental. Like a, a late Koscielny lunge in the penalty area, you know, <laughs> from his more youthful days. Okay, Adam, who's at Adam Pembry, wants to know, what do you think about Aubameyang as part of the captaincy group? Much as I hate it, much as I hate it, oh, the captaincy group, I think he hates. Not necessarily the idea of Aubameyang as part of it. He's experienced, he leads from the front, and he is our talisman. Yeah, I mean, did you propose this in your blog? I feel like I read this somewhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah I said it the other day, like, why not? Like, why not? Yeah, I mean, you know, he's incredibly popular within the group. I suppose he's not a conventional leader, as you would imagine, one archetypal one. But then, nor was Thierry Henry when he was captain of this club. You know? Yeah, people might uh, say he wasn't a great captain either. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah. but we haven't got a great captain. No, we so, don't. We don't. It's, uh, it was Shaka yesterday, wasn't it? It was, yeah. yeah. Did you find uh, it was interesting, wasn't it, where Emery said he's not going to finalise his group of captains until his squad is, is properly finalised by the, the end of the European transfer windows? Because mm. certain players either who are in our captaincy group now or potentially might be in our captaincy group could leave. Mm. That was interesting. Yeah, I mean, an obvious one, I guess, is Montreal, but there are others where there are question marks, potentially. I mean, maybe Mesut Ozil, you never know. Mm. Maybe... Maybe even Granite Shaka. I feel like Shaka's going to be here for the for the duration. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I would include Aubameyang actually because I think he's going to play a lot of games. Uh, he's very popular. He's a, a global star. He does lead the team in some respects, certainly in terms of goal scoring. He is a bit of a talisman. So yeah, I, I would be very open to that as one of the five options. Um, it'd be interesting to see if it happens. I, I yeah, I, I think it's a good idea. 
Yeah, I got no problem. Look, he's he's one of the guys who always fronts up on TV after the games. So, you mm-hmm. know, he takes that sort of responsibility as well. You know, I know he's a, a guy who likes to have fun and have a bit of a laugh, but... You know, there's nothing wrong with that. You can also, you can also, you can be that and also take things seriously when you need to take them seriously. So, yeah, absolutely, I don't see um, any problem with that. On the subject of players going out, uh, Hans, who's thirty underscore Hans on Twitter, I know we're just uh, showing the sort of how useless it is when we make predictions because we just forget them. But Hans says, <laughs> uh, which players do you predict will be sold or loaned out before the European transfer deadline? Hmm. Um, boom, boom, boom. Okay, sold. El Nenny. Yeah, I mean, I forget he plays for us, to be honest. So if we can shift him, I think we absolutely should. Sold. I don't know if we'll sell Mustafi. We might loan. It wouldn't surprise me if we loaned Mustafi. Yeah. Um, I, I think that will have to be the case. I, I just can't see us extracting a fee from him, especially having made it sort of so public that we want to get rid of it. Beyond that, it's difficult. I know we talked about one of the left-backs going, maybe the maybe what's going on might have an impact on that decision because there was talk of Real Sociedad being interested in Monreal, but mm. if Kolasinac feels like he can't live in London with his wife or whatever, then he might he might want to leave and that could inform that decision. So yeah, definitely El Nenny, definitely Mustafi one way or the other. And then one of Monreal or Kolasinac. But after that, I don't see, I don't see anybody else going and I don't see any of the youth players who are buzzing around the first team squad loaned out while we've got Europa League to play for, you know? Do you think, even someone like Emil Smith-Rowe, do you think he'll still be here? He's the one who I think could go, Mm. of the young players, on loan maybe back to the Bundesliga. I just feel like his loan spell last season was a bit abortive and I wonder if they consider that an important part of his development. Maybe so, maybe so actually. If they were going to give him time to develop and play regular first-team football, last season then yeah maybe maybe they feel that's what he needs at this point but it all depends on his injury it all depends whether he's ready to go somewhere on loan and again depends on how Emery is going to approach the Europa League so mm. yeah so Absolutely. that's it uh, I I have the, have the club clarified yet precisely what Kieran Tierney's injury situation is yes he's expected back in four to six weeks so, you know, after the international break, we're looking at Holding and Bellerin making their way back into, you know, um, well, Holding is in first team training. He's he's going to play for the under 23s, I think, today. So he's stepping up his progress and he could well be back in first team contention after the international break. I think Bellerin is a little bit further behind because his injury was m- maybe six or seven weeks after Holdings, if I'm right, Bellerin was towards yeah. the end of January and Holding was the start of December. So there's a, you know, basically two months. So Holding is a little bit ahead of Bellerin. Um, 
But I think we're looking at those players coming back after the international break and, and starting to to push for first team inclusion. And I think it makes um, it could be almost transformative in terms of of how we're able to play with those players. Um, not so much holding, but mm. but certainly Bellerin and Tierney on the left hand side for sure, for sure. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think you know patience will be required, but it's it's a very exciting mm. dynamic to be able to bring to the team to have two fullbacks who can overlap. Like yeah. That. Okay. Final question for today, um, and it comes on the day in which we've launched our third kit. Yes. Um, Callum, who's at Cal Arsenal, says, "Can you rank our kits this season from best to worst?" And he says, "Good luck." I think that's quite easy. So do I. Uh, uh, the home kit, number one for me. Yeah. Uh, the away kit would be number two and the third kit number three yeah one two and three I mean the home kits first and foremost when you get a good home kit you know that is the essence of Arsenal isn't it red and white yeah it looks good and it is sensational the home kit I really like it yeah Uh, me too I I love the look of the away kit yesterday I was a little dubious about us wearing it at Newcastle because why couldn't we just wear red and white but there you go but a first showing and a win, that's good. And we have a third kit, which doesn't look like somebody got sick into a tube of toothpaste and, you know, ran it through a ferret's arse um, mm. to make a disgusting shirt color. So I'm, I'm pleased. I'm pleased with the way we're going to look this season. Yeah, I mean, look, Arsenal in blue is always a bit of a jarring thing and it's it's a mm. navy kit, but... You know, it's uh, it's actually quite a nice shirt, the third one, fair play. I mean, I, I've bought the home in a way. Whether I'll go the full hat-trick, I, I doubt, but right. don't rule it out. I mean, I'm a, I'm a sucker for a nice shirt. And, um, yeah, they're great kits this year. I'm looking forward to seeing us in the red and white at the Emirates Stadium next weekend. Yeah, that's going to be a fun one against Burnley. Uh, we will chat about that on next week's Arsecast Extra and of course we will have the regular Arsecast on Friday looking ahead to that game and uh, going over everything else that happened during the week. If you like the show, please give us a rating or review on iTunes. That would be just great. Uh, As always, we appreciate you being here. It's great to get the new season off to a start. It's great that we've been able to have a a mostly uh, positive podcast um, because winning is good and we like winning. Uh, Let's hope we do a lot more of that this season. We will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. 